Hello, Internet. We are the people of the United Methodist Church of Grady, New Jersey. We equip transformational leaders to make disciples of Jesus Christ and grow vital congregations to transform the world. We ask your questions to fellow leaders of Grady, New Jersey, the church, and beyond. We talk about inspiration, vitality, and leadership. This is the Uncovered Dish Podcast. And I'm your host for today, James Lee. And Caitlin Deal. So I'm sure many of you are wondering why our podcast is called The Uncovered Dish. Wow. Let me tell you guys. (laughs) It was a very long meeting. Well, we were talking about different ideas, like what would be a good, we were talking about tables and and, uh, we're trying to use different Methodist uh, ideas. Um, You know, we're thinking, you know, as Methodists, we love food. Yes, we do. And uh, we love potluck dinners. Yes, we do. And what's another word for potluck dinner? Covered dish, right? Covered dish. And dish also means to talk, right? Dish out. So we saw, we thought, hey, how about the uncovered dish? Da dum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that, I just wanted to Do we clear make that. that. Clear enough. <laughs> make that clear, just in case any of you guys are wondering uh, how we came up with that title. In today's podcast, we are talking about worship. We have two awesome guests coming on. The first guest is Catherine Jordan Latham. She is the associate pastor at Monmouth Grace Church in Eatontown, New Jersey. And she shares about her lived experience in the multicultural church and shares how churches can implement quality multicultural worship services. The second guest is Eric Drew. He is the director of worship for the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey. We talk about the difference between musicianship and worship leadership, and then we take the conversation into the creative process of songwriting. We hope you enjoy. We have the pleasure of speaking with Catherine Jordan Latham. Catherine is originally from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, right there. She has a BA from Jew University in Pan-African Studies and Religion, and she is working right now towards her Master's of Divinity at New York Theological Seminary. Catherine is currently the Associate Pastor at Monmouth Grace Church in Eatontown, New Jersey. Also, I know Catherine is quite the musician, amazing uh, singer. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite song? Uh, Hymn of Promise. Hymn of Promise. Yes. Can just a few notes. Yeah, sing the chorus. We're talking about this. Yeah. No, Katya, she won't do it. She will bust out some uh, songs for see. us. Uh, in the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and storm of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. Unrevealed until it's season, something God alone can see. Beautiful. Amen. Thank Woo. you. I told you she'll do it. Give me chills. Like my hair's all got chills. Yeah, from no, that, that was Thank a you. that was a song we got. We had sung at our wedding actually. Oh wow! When my husband and I got married, uh, my brother-in-law sang that for our unity ceremony. Because uh, there's something really beautiful about learning about seasons and life and all of those great things. So that's why it's one of my sweet songs in my heart. <laughs> no, I won't say. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two seconds later. <laughs> wow. Think we're kind of like lifting the Holy Spirit level just a notch Done. right here in the studio. Thank you. 
Um, so, Catherine, just tell us about yourself, just your, where you grew up and yeah. your call to ministry. Um, so, I have gone to church my entire life. I was born and raised in church. My parents met in church. Uh, they actually met at a different church than the church I was raised in. The church they were married in uh, was predominantly Caribbean. Uh, my mom is white and my father is black, so they both had leadership positions in this church and everything like that, but they knew when they got married that eventually when they had kids. They wanted to find a place that would welcome the fact that their children had two different cultural identities. Uh, so they so they sought out a few churches and they visited uh, and they got involved in a church before I was born. And that was the church I was raised in. And I was super blessed for, uh, by that church. We had a diversity of ages, of races, of ideas and worship styles. Uh, I grew up with having a traditional African Heritage Sunday where we got to learn from our Nigerian and Ghanaian uh, congregants some worship songs that they grew up with. We had the UMW one Sunday uh, decided that they were going to do the call to worship as a dance. They decided to take these multicolored scarves and as they had this reading being done to raise them and, and somehow God knew and shone the light in the windows through these sheer colored fabrics and to start worship that way was insane and just so affirming that God is there and God is so awesome. Um, so I grew up in this context where we were able to try out new things and then realizing as an adult that most people don't grow up with that kind of diversity <laughs> and, and being kind of shocked that that's not what happens within the rest of the world and realizing I want to create this, the experiences I remember and yes, they may be idyllic and, and not actually what completely happened and or as perfect as I seem to think about them in my mind, but to try to create these environments that God is felt in different ways, that people's differences are made one in this place. How what does it mean to bridge and engage that multicultural community? I think we still like we all come from our different contexts, right? But I think that one of something that we need to be able to do is define what we mean by multicultural. Because we say multicultural, but we completely just mean like including other languages in service. And that's not multicultural. Cultural is a context. It could be not it could be your your race, it could be uh, geological, it could also be different political parties, class structures that that is involved within this multicultural definition. How do we utilize the experience of, the, of those who are around us to embrace this identity of multicultural? Because once we start embracing and becomes part of our narrative, all of a sudden, we start seeing those people come into our midst. So, did, did you have a question? I, I well, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but how? what does it mean to bridge and engage that multicultural community? Yeah. I think that it's... Uh, how we bridge also depends, right? If you are not a musical congregation, trying to bridge it in song is probably gonna fail. But if you are a musical congregation, that's a gift that you need to, to, to that's the best way to, to create that bridge is that, you know, how, let's do a song in another language, let's learn it, you know? And, and also within our communities, the people in our congregation find God in different moments. Someone finds it through the song, someone finds it through the scripture, someone finds it through the call to worship, someone finds it through the sermon. So how do we not just limit 
these moments to one thing. We can't just limit these multicultural experiences to music or to liturgy or anything like that. We need to make sure that we interweave that some way, somehow, through all the things. And that's how it becomes uh, intentional for those who are sitting in the midst to be able to get it. It's also working with those who are leaders within that worshiping time. You know, how do we prepare them to be able to really lead those moments? All right, we're going to have the words on the screen and we're going to sing it four times. But what we've decided is that, you know, we're going to say so-and-so is going to sing it for us once or so-and-so is going to do a, a talk back of the words, it's, you know, repeat after me. These are the words that we're going to be seeing. And it takes 30 seconds to do it while in the worship experience. But to have that time of saying, like, this is a teachable moment. We're not just expecting, sure. like... We know God's in the midst of this, so God's just going to move and people are going to get it. No, that's that's unfair to the to our the people who are in our midst. We need to make sure that we extend this fact of like I took the time to learn this. You know, I had to be taught this. I need to teach my community so that you are more confident when it comes into saying it, even within you know larger worship contexts like conferences. You know, very rarely do they say we're gonna go into the call to worship and it's like a, the same response and just expect people to do it. They'll say, uh, if, especially if there's like motions or something involved in it, we're gonna say, this is the motion for we and this is the motion for, for God and da da da. And, and when we get to the end of, when I say this phrase, you are gonna respond with those motions. We have these short teachable moments that allow people to understand where we're going with whatever it is we're going with that's new. Sure, it makes you more confident too, because I know if I don't know a song, I'm just like kind of mouthing it, and I don't feel, you know, I don't feel as much as I do a song that I know and I can sing and I know the words and I can feel it, you know, so I can understand that teachable moment. Thirty seconds can allow somebody to embrace, you know, the Holy Spirit so much more than them just sitting there hmm, like humming because they they don't, you know, don't know the words. Well, and I think also as leaders, we need to make sure that we put ourselves in the shoes of others is that we don't we get so worried about other stuff or making sure this goes well or this goes right we forget to see like what our community looks like when we sit in the congregation you know when you say the call to worship the in the bulletin in the da 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 without explaining what those things are without giving someone a point of context if you've never stepped in a church and all of a sudden you get thrown out let's say the lord's prayer together and you don't have it printed anywhere or a page number and you it's like let's do it together and someone who's never done the lord's prayer or never heard it in that that phrasing goes um i'm just going to sit here and feel really awkward as everyone else around me says this thing that obviously i should know you know it's it's those moments also is how do we make how do we sit and make sure that anyone coming through our doors on sunday morning can join into the worship experience and sometimes it's us as leaders putting ourselves in that situation and sometimes it's asking those we've identified as leaders or who act as leaders in within the congregation. Yeah, and another part of it, it also takes a lot of just being self-aware of your own context. Yeah. You know, you were talking about the Lord's Prayer and all that. Even uh, context-specific or even cultural-specific, like there's so many things we do in church that someone from a different context or a different culture may not be aware of and yeah. we that they take for granted. So to be inclusive and to be multicultural means to be aware of what 
may be normal for me may not be normal for you. Here's here's so here's my struggle. So my context is, you know, I grew up in the Korean church, right? Yeah. And the experience that I got was I grew up going to school where, you know, there were people of other cultures going to a church to a place where um, people were more like me mm. was an opportunity for me to grow in my own identity and uh, kind of struggle with other people that are like me mm. saying, okay, so being called these names or fighting these stereotypes is not something that I have to fight alone. Like mm. it was almost like there was this other community that that can help me and support me in the minority experience mm. um, that's specific to my culture. So is there a place for ethnic specific churches or should all these churches aspire for a multicultural society, multicultural church, to be a church of all nations. I grew up in a multicultural church, but there were very clearly distinct groups as well, and not as a um, let's segregate ourselves from each other, but there are certain things that we experienced and we understood. You know, we had a our African contingent who were made up of majoritively Nigerian and Ghanaian people who recently came into the country. And they would sometimes meet as a whole, and sometimes they would meet as their um, as their separate countries because there are things that are very specific to them. I think it's the same thing within our churches is that we need to make sure that we allow for this um, space where people can find a connection, but then also to have this communal space where we get to share our different experiences. Because through that sharing, all of a sudden I get to see the world a little differently. You know, and if we are all children of God, if we are all representative of who God is, that means we all have different aspects. And so if I want to try to see the world through God's eyes, I need to start by learning how to see the world through someone else's eyes. Because God sees, you know, through the eyes of of you, James, the same way that God sees through the eyes of me. But and I can't live your context, but I can understand it when you talk to me about it, when you share about what you've gone through and what you've journeyed with. And that's the point is that we need to have these communal spaces so that all of a sudden we can see the world and we can see God and we can all of a sudden realize that God sees all of that. And as leaders, you know, how do we make sure depending on, I mean, you have people who go to different theological schools and they are very similar to the other people who've graduated from the theological school within their leadership. And that's awesome. But if we all took just where we learned and how we learned and then went to these different contexts, rural, urban, suburban, um, predominantly white, predominantly black, predominantly immigrant, you know, and tried to all do the service the same way, we would fail as pastors. We need to take what we've learned and and adjust it to whatever context we're in. And it doesn't water it down or, or make it less valuable. It just makes us more aware of what that community needs, is that the message is the same. We are called to make transformational agents for Jesus, for God in this world. That That's our call. It's pretty awesome. I think, I think we're pretty much done uh did you want to ask the last question remember that last question we asked everyone Our last question yes oh gosh so we didn't prep you for this one surprise so if you could pick any food dish dish 
Since we're the Uncovered Dish Podcast and Methodist, <laughs> we love to eat. So if you can pick any dish and you can only eat it for the rest of your life, three times a day with no variations or modifications. <sighs> I know, we're getting brutal with this question. That I think we hard. add on every time. Like, so if you can pick any dish. Yes, one dish for the rest of your life, what would it be? Turkey club with extra crispy fries. <laughs> that is very specific. That's Actually, awesome. I get, I get I get my grains. I get go. some lettuce. You know, I get nice. some protein, and then you get the badness of extra club. crispy fries. Yes, bacon makes everything better. That's it true. does. <laughs> I think I want that for lunch today. Now <laughs> I get everything that my I guess recommends. That's the second bacon I think we got right. I think we keep getting ba- bacon. Bacon yeah. might be bacon might be the winning dish. Yeah, it's just bacon. <laughs> just in life. <laughs> Just have, have bacon in life. That is our new. <laughs> All right. Well, Catherine, thank you for coming on the thank show. You. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, yeah, Catherine, if you need to reach her, she, uh, again, is the associate pastor at Mammoth Grace uh, United Methodist Church in Eatontown, New Jersey. They have services at 8, 10, and 1130. 1130. Yeah. So, and the multicultural service is at 10 o'clock. So feel free to show up and uh, show the love. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank bye. you. Hi, I'm Beth Caulfield, Director of Small Groups for the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey. All clergy and local seminary students are invited to the Small Group Symposium. It's a series of workshops and panel discussions where we're going to explore different approaches, emerging trends, challenges, and theological perspectives to small groups. Our panelists will cover such diverse topics as covenant groups, cell groups, house churches, online groups, post-postmodern groups, and more. Join with Reverend Dr. David Watson, author of Covenant Discipleship, the Reverend Arisbel Luna Gallarda, who's director of small groups of the Methodist Church of Cuba, and other esteemed experts from Greater New Jersey at Drew Theological School on October 20th from 9.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. The cost is $30 for clergy and $15 for students. Registration and more details can be found online at gnjumc.org backslash events backslash small group symposium. Looking forward to seeing you there. Eric Drew is a worship leader, coach, and professional musician. He went to Honduras in 2008, uh, was teaching English. He was mentoring at an orphanage. In 2011, for four years, he was a worship pastor at Cross Point Church, which is a multi-site church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And right now, Eric is working as the director of worship of the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey. That this, It's a body that oversees about 560 churches in the New Jersey area. Uh, so what that means is Eric, he coaches and resources all these worship leaders of the churches in New Jersey. It's pretty awesome. Y'all make me sound so cool. Can you talk in Spanish right now? Pues sí, pero sería difícil si no puedes entender. No español. Uh, poquito? <laughs> poquito. I wish. <laughs> so, um... Thanks for coming on the show, Eric. I'm very excited uh, for you to be here. Eric is one of the greatest worship leaders I know. So my first question is, what led you to travel all the way to Honduras? Yes, yeah, so my a little bit of my story, uh, I grew up in the church and I grew up very early, early as a musician 
in the church. I went to music school and college, and when I was in college, I stayed in the church and played music in the church a lot. After I graduated college, uh, I was working as a professional musician and still going into church and finally kind of getting a lot of work as a musician. And I just got tired of it. It was a lot of driving and it was a lot of music and I just kind of burned out because it wasn't fun anymore. I had been in touch with this missionary in Honduras and this orphanage and I said, hey, I'm looking for something new and out of the box. Can I help for a couple months? And she said, well, no, we don't need you to help for a couple months. We need you to be here for a year. Oh, my goodness. And so my couple of months turned into three years in Honduras. And uh, I learned how to play the guitar. I didn't play, play the guitar as a musician beforehand. And I met my wife. And now I lead worship playing guitar and love my wife and our kids very much. So God laughs when we give God our long-term plans. Huh. What, what kind of musician were you before you play guitar? I was a classically trained symphonic trumpet player. Whoa. Still do the trumpet every now and then? No, you definitely would not want to hear that. <laughs> you don't bring it out, start playing. No. <laughs> so that's really interesting, you know, your life journey. You went from being a professional musician playing the trumpet and then transitioning into being a worship pastor and a worship director. From your experience, like what is the difference between uh, a musician and a worship leader? For me, the difference was a heart thing. So I showed up in churches and played the trumpet a lot, and sometimes I get paid, or sometimes I volunteered. Uh, and I loved doing that, and I loved God and Jesus doing that, but it was a lot about me and my being able to perform. And really what Honduras and what I experienced in those rural hills with 60 kids was the presence of God is all around us. I started playing the guitar, very basic guitar, and singing songs to God with these kids who grew up having nothing. Uh, and that experience wrecked me and... Just a different posture of the heart to inviting people into worship of our awesome God instead of just playing music. Uh, beside kind of musical ability and being a continual learner and practicing and being able to play, we're called to be worshipers in private first. It's easy to get up on a platform or on Sunday morning and love people singing along with you, uh, but it's not going to come from a, an authentic place if we're not doing our devotional time and scripture reading and worshiping behind closed doors before we worship on Sunday morning in front of a bunch of people. I'd also say communication is so important as a worship leader, communication on many levels. So communication with pastor in preparing for a service, communication with team members or band members, whoever kind of preparing and for worship. And then on Sunday morning or whenever you gather, communication with the congregation and not just singing songs at people, but inviting people into the communal experience of worship and singing and be able to communicate that well. As I visit churches and kind of talk with pastors and coach worship leaders, I think one area that most of us can grow is in our planning process. We can be much more creative if we're well prepared, right? So we've all had this idea that would just be amazing, mind-blowing, revolutionary for this worship service that's coming up, and we've had it too late. 
so we had to pass because we didn't think of it with enough time to prepare and implement it. So thinking long-term and growing in our long-term planning of what's coming up and looking further out, that's going to enable us to be more creative, actually, and better prepared. And then as we plan, I think we can also grow in our process and the structure to get things done. And once you actually lay out a process that says, here are the people and the things we're working on in those time frames, I mean, there's just tremendous creative freedom and potential by having a little bit of a structure around our planning process. Oh, that's cool. Being the director of worship uh, in the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey means that you're visiting all these churches, right? So um, are there any churches that are doing this well that you kind of want to highlight? Any stories from visiting these churches? Yeah, so recently I connected with a PACE group. Pursuing Clergy Excellence is what PACE stands for, and they're learning groups of pastors. And I was so excited that three of their pastors had set apart two or three days the following week to actually get away and do like a worship planning retreat. I love that. They took two or three days. One of them had a house on a lake. So they kind of took a retreat, (laughs) went away, took Bibles and worship planning materials and sketched out the whole next year of sermon series. And that might seem really far in advance, but local churches in New Jersey are doing it and churches kind of nationally all over the place. That's how they do their long-term planning. Have you ever been to one of these uh, uh, worship planning retreats? We just <laughs> want to go to a lake house somewhere. So we're at a lake why. house and we'll call it that. <laughs> Have you ever been to one of these? Yeah, so in the previous church I served, that's how we would do it. We oh, would, nice, Our nice. leadership team would take, uh, we'd do one day retreats. We'd do three or four kind of one day getaways and then a three or four day retreat away in a cabin up in the hills and do team development and talk about goals for the next year and plan out sermon series for the next year as well a quick tip to pastors out there who've never done this before like um when i was serving as a a youth pastor someone told me about this so i what i did was i just called up a bunch of retreat centers and when they when they hear that you're a pastor trying to do like a creative retreat um, and it's especially if it's during the off season, like they'll just let you in for free or at a very minimal price. What I've done before is members of the congregation of our congregation had a vacation home and they said, hey, it's open for, you know, these days. Mm-hmm. Are you interested? So it was no cost to our team to stay. And we took all our own food. So it was very low cost to do a planning retreat, uh, but incredibly impactful. Is there anything else churches can do to enhance the worship experience that you also want to mention? One habit that we can get into is expecting guests in our worship services. So a lot of churches immediately say that we have no guests, but we have more guests than you think. It was two years ago that we started keeping tabs on the data of how many guests we actually have in churches. It's part of year-end reports now. And last year, we had over 37,000 first-time guests in Methodist churches in greater New Jersey. That's 1.3 guests per church per week. Now, some of those, not every church gets a guest every week, But that's to say we're getting a lot more guests than we think. If we'd actually just kept 5% of those guests, we wouldn't have declined in attendance last year. We would have grown. 5% retention rate. 
So we can expect guests because we are getting some. And the guests that we're getting more now than ever, I mean, churches have noticed the studies that fewer people are going to church in America than ever before. And more people have been hurt by the church. So our communities are full of not people who know what to do and want to go to church and can go through the motions, but our communities are full of people with no church experience at all for years and years or ever. So there are some really concrete things we can do to expect people who don't know what to do in church. So we can have signs that have the right worship times or have the sanctuary entrance. We can have hospitality team members and greeters at our doors and escorting people to the sanctuary or to their seats. We can, as worship leaders, involve people who don't know when to stand up, sit down, which colored book in front of them they can find all of the music in. Uh, You know, if I go somewhere new and I feel completely lost and the leadership isn't really prepared for me, odds are I'm not going to go back. And just taking a few small steps of expecting new people and expecting people who aren't really churchy people in our services can have tremendous impact on everything that we do. So I was reading your blog, and for our listeners who are not familiar with The Connection, I encourage you to go to the website, gnjumc.org, and check The Connection out. So Eric has a recent blog post called um, The Spiritual Renewal Through Creativity. That was a nice post, by the way, yeah. (laughs) It was really good. It's very inspiring, especially that you get up before 6.15 to work out. (laughs) I am impressed. I didn't today. (laughs) Oh, you can't tell me that. Yesterday, yesterday. Oh, yes. My alarm goes off 7, and I throw it across the room for another half an hour. So (laughs) that is encouraging that you actually get up with your alarm. So I'm trying to be disciplined (laughs) in my creativity. So I have a morning routine. I wake up stupid early and work out. (laughs) and kind of do some devotional time and that's when I try to write regularly and some days that goes great and I just feel illumined by the spirit of God and other mornings are like this morning and and I just after 45 minutes say God I feel like an idiot I got nothing (laughs) (laughs) so I was wondering if you can give us a little quick little preview of one of your songs I'm releasing songs slowly, and maybe one of the ones I'm most excited for is uh, this song, Trust in Your Name. Here we gather, God of peace, how we need you. Trust in Your Name came out of, kind of, the seeds came out of the uh, Paris terrorist attack last year. I mean, it just feels like week after week after week, there's another killing or spree or hate group or something. And there's a huge, kind of a huge void in contemporary Christian music that doesn't address tragedy. How do we worship? There are one or two songs I can think of. But this song, the chorus came right out of Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God, you are my refuge and strength, a sure hope in times of trouble. And so the chorus sings out that psalm. And it's just very much a reflection on God. We come before you 
and you are our only hope. God, we remember that you have been faithful in the past. God, we know that you will be faithful and you have a plan for our future. God, help us to trust in your name. Wow, that is such a powerful message and I cannot wait to hear that song and for your album coming out. I look forward to it. It's been a labor of love, but I'm also looking forward to it. Lots of good progress. More soon. Trust in your Is it going to be like CD or iTunes or SoundCloud or... Floppy disk. It'll definitely be (laughs) iTunes. It'll probably be mostly iTunes and Spotify. It's going to be mostly digital. So there's no way I can get a signed autograph CD when you're famous. (laughs) (laughs) For you all on the Uncovered Dish, we'll hook you up. Yes. (laughs) Make a CD just for Caitlin and her CD player. Oh, that'll be CDs too. That'll be CDs too. Everything's like digital media. It's like, what? But be But who who does autographs now? Everyone just takes selfies. Do you know what happened to me recently though? Two different people approached me and they were like, hey, we're writing music. Check out our CD. And I brought them home, and I wanted to listen to them. I don't have a CD player in my house. <laughs> right? We had to get our PlayStation 2 out from a box in the basement <laughs> and hook it up to the TV to scary? listen to a CD. Like... We don't have a CD player. So uh, note to all you songwriters, uh, CDs are fine, <laughs> but uh, try to get your songs on digital media. Go digital. That's the way the world is turning right now. Good note. I'll be making CDs. There will be physical CDs. You'll be able to buy CDs. I'll sign them for you all on the uncovered dish. I'll go t- traditional and contemporary in that I'll get that, get an autograph, and take a selfie with it. <laughs> Hashtag Eric Drew Music at Eric Drew Music. <laughs> Just make sure you tag it right on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram. You got, you got, you got my tag. Good. What's more fun, being a songwriter or a worship leader? Whew. Tough question. Here's so here's why this is this is here's why this is a tough question. Because it's so fun to be a worship leader. I just love singing with a congregation. Uh And for me right now, being a songwriter is more a labor of love. Hmm. So I feel called to be writing songs and contributing to that. It's not fun actually. It's hard work to get great songs. So it's more fun to be a worship leader, but I feel extremely called to be writing songs. So to all the uh, songwriters, worship leaders, pastors out there, we have something coming up. We have an event coming up. You want to just kind of plug that in real quick? Yeah. So I'm super excited about Doxology, a worship conference. Uh, We're bringing in Curtis Parks as our keynote speaker. He's the director of worship at National Community Church. And his work is all about how to get the community participating and involved in the worship service, no matter what community. That's what he does. And I'm really excited that he's coming. And then we have four different learning tracks, a contemporary worship track for your praise team, worship team, praise band, a traditional worship track for pastors, worship committees, music directors. Uh, we have a preaching track for pastors or lay speakers who want to improve their preaching skills. And we also have a small church 
planning track. You know, worship planning is a very different challenge in churches of 50 people and less. And we have one or two workshops specifically for those churches, helping them out. Now, the event is set up so that you bring a group of people. So it costs $25 for an individual to come to Doxology on November 12th. But groups of four or more only pay $100. You could bring four or 10 or 15 people and it only costs you $100. So it's very, you know, we want to be sensitive to churches that don't have much of a budget. Come bring groups of people, learn together, go to the same workshop and debrief from what you heard or go to different workshops and compare notes. Uh, We'd love to engage groups from churches in doxology. So yes, Doxology is a worship conference in November 12th, Saturday from 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Calvary Korean Church in East Brunswick, New Jersey. There's worship training for pastors, worship leaders, and laity. It's going to be a day with worship trainings for just everyone. So if you are in a church and you are involved in the worship team in any way, shape, or form, you need to be there. So go to gnjumc.org to the events page and register today. And don't come by yourself. Bring a group learn together it's going to be great for your whole church awesome thanks eric for coming on the show once again before we wrap up we just want to ask you a question that we are going to be asking every guest uh, at the end of each show and that is if you only have one dish for the rest of your life what would it be so can i prepare the dish different ways nope exactly (laughs) just one way one kind of dish breakfast lunch and dinner for the rest of your life what would it be Wow, no variation at all. Nope. Man, that's tough. And that's a protein, vegetable, and a carb. No, I know. It's <laughs> all nutritional value. No, actually, I'm I'm kind of a, a bacon cheeseburger with jalapeno kind of guy. He'll wow. heartburn in two years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you want to read uh, do that again? No, Jalapeno kind of clear out your system, you know. Got your veggies, got your carbs, got your meat. Mine would be you can't pizza, go wrong with a burger. so, you know, it's not much better. <laughs> pizza was my second choice. Pizza was like pepperoni. It's like, there you go. Protein, cheese, veggies. All right, thanks, Eric. That's about it. If you want to contact Eric Drew, again, it's Eric Drew. It's E D R E W at gnjumc.org. And also, you can find him at ericdrewmusic.com. Coming soon. Coming very soon. Thank you again for tuning in today's podcast. If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. We will be posting a new podcast every other Wednesday. So if you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. We'll talk to you soon.